So go ahead and turn your Bibles. That is Exodus 3. We're going to go through the whole chapter together. Now, so far, if you have kept up, and I know it's hard not to miss with all the sickness going on and travel and stuff of that nature, or maybe you're a visitor and you don't really know what we're doing. We're going a whole year in the book of Exodus. God has been good. God has provided so far, and I I believe that he will continue in this awesome story in this book, this Old Testament gift. But if you've been paying attention, there's been a lot that's happened in two chapters. The Bible usually takes its time and just goes through all the finite points, but but Exodus, unlike most scripture, there's been four to 500 years, really, in two chapters. The first two chapters, when we look at Genesis 50 and the death of Joseph to where we are now is, is literally probably about, give or take, 500 years. Not only is it 500 years, there's been a lot that's happened in even some of our main stars of the book. We see that not only has a Pharaoh passed and Joseph passed and the people of God are now in Egypt. We've talked a lot about that. We have Moses is born, but not only is Moses born, at this point in chapter 3, he's an older man. Like this thing has been moving at such a rapid speed. We see 40 years, two chapters. Two chapters. He's born, he's 40, he's in the palace, he's under the Pharaoh. He's some Egyptian, he's some Hebrew, he's a little bit of both. He's living in this reality of what that looks like. He sees the mistreatment of his people. He kills a man, he's found out. And then he goes into hiding, he goes into his own wilderness. Moses is now older. He has a wife, he has children, he has a family, he is a shepherd that we're going to read. This is a new life. Chapter three, now God says to Moses, now you're ready. Four or 500 years, new life with Moses. He's an older man, different circumstances. He's out of Egypt, he's in Midian. And God says, now you are ready. What does readiness look like? What does readiness look like? What does it look like for Moses and what does it look like for us? Look at verses one through four. God has really blessed me uh, with this chapter so far this week. So kind of hold on to every word we say. We got a lot of verses, okay? Verses one through four. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jericho, his father-in-law, Jethro, his father-in-law. So Moses is way away from the palace. So Jacob Partridge at Small Group was even talking to our group about this last week, that um, not only was this something that was a lowly profession, but it stands out to you because I believe that God is just using this type of profession to show us where Moses is in life. So he is, he is gone from the palace. He is gone from every resource, every benefit, every sense of education and blessing. And now he is in the middle of the field working for his father-in-law as a lowly shepherd. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and it came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So you put up that one picture if you could. This mountain exists, and even in 2022, they call that the mountain of Moses, the mountain of God, the people in this area. That is how it's identified, real place and real life. And the angel of the Lord peered to Moses in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. 
So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire and the bush was not consumed. This is the image of God. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, being Moses, God called to him from a midst of the bush and said, highlight with me, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, I don't want you to overlook when God comes to Moses. Not just simply how, but when. Understand that Moses is not the prince of Egypt. He is not in his prime. He is not filled with conviction and passion and readiness to avenge his people. No. God's hero that he is building up, the star of Exodus, God's instrument, is now a washed-up old man away from his benefits, away from his resources. God comes into the picture of Moses' life when Moses is humble, and God says, now you're ready. You are out of the kingdom. You are out of your prime. You are out of your confidence. You are out of your comfort. You are out of your blessings. You are out of your benefits. And now you are ready. God still works in the same way today. If you are with us on Wednesday night in Psalms, God graciously works through kings like David and fishermen like Peter. Doors for you and I and the doors for Moses and those men of the Bible times, doors are open when hearts are humbled. When we are small, when we are small and God has humbled, that is when we usually see the greatness of who God is. Moses did not lack seminary or knowledge. No, 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 no. Moses lacked readiness with a humbled spirit. Moses looks at God, I am not ready, I am broken. And God says, you are now primed for my purposes. I pray this for so many people from salvation to death. For so many of us, I hear all the time, people will come to my office, they'll call me and they'll say to me, and I just wish that my husband would choose Jesus, right? I just wish they would love church. I wish my wife was involved. I wish my kids cared. Like I wish they were in love with the Lord. And listen to me, um, I do too. But what I have started to pray years ago, more than all of that stuff, the outcomes, I have prayed for God's breaking, God's humbling, because great things come from when we are small, shrunken, and made little of. God saves us as shepherds and works through us as kings. God is always big. Hang on my words. God is not dependent on man and how man views God. However, in the eyes of man, we can't all be big. And when we are small, God is huge. And when we are small, big things are accomplished. As a Christian, take note, do not run from shrinking. Do not run from shrinking. That is when great things are accomplished. The God who saves, the God who humbles, the God who shrinks is the God who sins. 
You hear me? Like, who do you want? You want 40-year-old Moses or 80-year-old Moses? Who are you picking for the kickball team? I'm picking 40-year-old. Like, my man was ready to murder. That's my guy. I don't want 80-year-old shepherd Moses. Who does God want? See, at 40 years old, Moses said, hey, give me the gun and turn your head. I'm about to do this. Moses, God said, Moses, you're not ready. 80 years old, he has made little love. He sees the greatness, bigness of who God is. Look at verses five. Then he said, so God says, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, and he said, here I am. Verse five, he said, and then he said, do not draw near this place. This is heavy stuff. Highlight, just keep highlighting. Then he said, do not draw near to this place. Why? Take off your sandals from your feet for this is the place where you stand is holy ground. Good stuff, I want you to take a second. It's good stuff. You ever get, gone into that house where you go, hey, I don't know if I should take my shoes off or not. What's the custom? Are they, you know, are they gonna be upset with me if I walk around? And they go, hey, you don't have to wonder. Your shoes are dirty. Take your shoes off before you come in here. Why? This is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac and I'm the God of Jacob. I like this one. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now understand in the book of Genesis, we see this word holy first used, that God separates the days. But in Exodus, this is the first time the word holy is used in its early interpretation to characterize God. So what does the word holy mean? Take note. The word holy literally means sacred, but it also means set apart. So biblically, what we see in this interaction between Moses and God is there is a distinct separation between the creator and the creation. So God tells Moses, before we move forward, understand that you and I are not the same. There is a difference between God and man. It says that Moses can't even look at him. Why? I talked to Jared and I talked to, to Jacob and I talked to my wife and my brother Brock. I, I talked to some of you guys this week. Like, like, why can Moses not look at God? Understand, holy ground for Moses has now turned into dangerous ground for Moses. See, understand, kiddos, eyes on me. You and I, like Adam before sin, you and I were meant, you and I were created to gaze, to stare at perfection. You and I were created to stare upon God's perfection and holiness like Adam before sin, but now enter sin. And so when sin enters, now holy ground for man has become dangerous ground for man. Why? Because the unholy cannot be in the presence of holiness. God says, brother, it's not good for your health. Like this isn't out of like mutual respect. No, 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 no. You are not able to see me. 
I talk about this all the time and I've used this example a bazillion times. And I use the same hand motion. You and I as sinners, no matter how kind or how much money you give, no matter how, who your daddy was or if you helped build this place, you and I have a ceiling. You can only go so far, even the kindest of you. And so for you and I, the sweetest individual in this room, if I threw you into heaven, you'd mess up the whole system. You'd stick out like a sore thumb. Billions of people in heaven, if you and I went in there as sinners, you would stand out to everybody. You and I have a ceiling. But take it even further. Not only can we not enter heaven, we can't even see him. Like we can't even look upon him. Well, here's the dilemma. Here's the problem for you and I. At one point in life, you and I will. On the day of judgment, eyes on me, the day of judgment, there will be a day where God looks upon us. And unless you and I are holy, you and I will face wrath. So there has to be an answer. There has to be a plan. What is it? Well, you only got one. You and I must find a way to become holy now enters Christ. Do you see it? Now enters Christ. We gotta have a plan. There's bad news coming for you and I. There is a ceiling. We can't even see him. We have to become holy. What do we gotta do? Enters Christ. Take a second. Slow down. Look at 1 Corinthians 1. I'm going to hold off with you, okay? To turn your Bibles. I don't want to read this and you just listen. Turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to go right back to Exodus. Keep your highlighters open, colors fresh. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Celia, you're doing a wonderful job. You are not overpaid a penny, sweetie. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Enters Christ. Look at verses 26 through 31. Parent, I'd be tickled if you read this to your kids tonight. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, please. For you see, you're calling, brothers, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put shame to the wise. He has chosen the shepherds, right? And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put shame to the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, that the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Man, highlight, slow the moment down. Look at verses 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. It's our problem. That is our dilemma. What are we to do? But of him... You are in Christ Jesus, 
who became for us wisdom of God and righteousness of God and sanctification of God and redemption of God, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now go back to Exodus. Understand there will be a day that we don't hide our faces like Moses. We gaze like Adam. There will be a day where we don't cower. We're not taking shoes off. No, 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 no. We are looking upon the Lord. Why? Because God does not see us as broken. He does not see us as fleshly. We have somehow or another become holy. How? Nothing that you have done, nothing that you have earned, nothing that you deserve, but by entering Christ in you. That is the dilemma, and that is the answer, and that is why we sing, and that is why we praise. We will one day not hide like Moses. We will gaze like Adam. Look at Exodus 7 through 11. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Isn't that comforting? So I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land, a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and to the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebedites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression in which the Egyptians oppressed them. Highlight 10, please, 10 and 11. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. So the God who saves is the God who sends. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But in reality, how that sounds and how that plays out is different. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? There are so many things that I love about that. First, on just kind of a rabbit trail is just the reality of that God knows Moses and calls him by name. So we look at the burning bush and the miracle of God's image in that. You could preach a revival on that. But even more than that is the simplicity that God calls Moses by name. That God knows Moses. That God cares about Moses. That God has created and molded Moses. And God is there with Moses. That blows my mind. There will be a day where you not just stand before the Lord, the creator, and in all awe, but he will look at you and say, Ryan, my child, can you imagine hearing your name come out of the creator's mouth? Take a second. He says, Moses, I'm here. Do you know what that means? In the early interpretation that literally is described as the statement of, I am ready. He says, I am ready. Moses, Moses, God, I'm here. I am in this field. I'm a shepherd. I'm past my prime. I am ready. And then God tells Moses what he would have him do. And what does Moses say? I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Right? Like, 
Stick me, Adam, wherever you want me. I don't know about going there. What does he say? Who am I? You ever said that? Some of you have said it to me. I've asked you to do something. I've talked about teaching, or David has talked to you about singing. You go, bro, you don't want me to sing. You don't want me to teach. You don't want me to serve. Who am I? Moses looks at the Lord and says, I am no prince. I am past my prime. I have tried if you don't remember and failed. And he goes, maybe you know me by name, but maybe you have forgotten my background. Last time I tried this, it set me back 40 years. I don't want to walk down this road again, right? Moses said, one or two things are going to happen, and both of them are bad news for me. Either one, I go back. I go back to Egypt, and I try to do what you have me do, and nobody remembers me. Why would they remember me? Man, I've been a ghost of an individual. They probably don't even know I'm alive, and I'm supposed to show up to the scene and go, hey, guys, gather around. I got an idea. Who are you? Or Moses said they are going to remember me, which is just as bad, because what they're going to remember is that I'm a murderer. So I'm either a murderer or nobody. Who am I? to do the things that you have planned for me. It's the good news. Look at 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you. Man, I could pray right now and send you home, and that's enough. So he said, I will certainly be with you. Is that enough for you? And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain, this mountain that still exists today. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses goes, hey, listen, I'm in a dilemma. One, they don't probably know who I am, and if they don't know who I am, they're probably not going to know who you are. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. You know what that means? That literally means there's not a human vocabulary to describe my greatness. In the New Testament, when Mary and Martha, when they lost their brother, and they come to Jesus, and he goes, man, if you were only here, and and what does Jesus say? He goes, listen, he's going to have life in the afterlife. And they go, man, I, I understand that. He goes, no, 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 no. I am life. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the I am has sent me to you. That banner hangs out in our lobby. See, church, God does not take this moment in Moses' lack of confidence to motivate him. He doesn't prop him up. He doesn't go, hey, Moses, because this is what we do. You can hit the ball, buddy. Keep your eyes on it. I know you're 0 for 3 with 3 Ks, but you can do it. I know you can. Believe in yourself. You're strong and you're fast and you look like your old man. Believe in yourself. That's not what God does. No, 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 no. God assures man not with his greatness or abilities. He assures man with his presence. Your life and mine and Moses's 
God goes, hey, listen, you have tried this, but you haven't tried it with me. And yeah, you did fail. You failed with good intentions. Remember last week, justified sin? But you haven't tried it on with me. Moses, who am I? And if I get past that, who are you? He goes, man, I'm gonna be the one who hits the ball. You know, I love this because I don't think Moses sees it. I don't think you see it in your life. No one was more gifted to do this than Moses. I want you to really take a second and just look at what God did in this man's life. Oh man, he sculpted this individual. Think about it. Think about this undertaking. Think about what God was asking one man to do. It's crazy. Who could do such a thing? Well, a man that was Egyptian enough to confront the Egyptians and Hebrew enough to engage the Hebrew. Moses was on an island with his abilities in which God gave him. And Moses doesn't even see it. Now at 80 years old, now Moses is humble, he's wise, he's educated, he's experienced. Now he is open, now he is small, God is huge. And now he knew, knows the inner workings. Who am I? Who am I? What does God say? Man, you are perfect for my plan. Hang. But the exodus did not depend on the gifts of Moses. It depends on the presence of God. God molds and he prepares and he gifts and he paves a way for people to walk and succeed as God is with them for his purposes. Joshua 1.5, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you and I promise not to forsake you. And that is our story today. That is our story today to David, to Brad, to Jacob, to Brock, to Anna, to Wendy, to Liam. Just as I was with Moses, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Joseph. I am the God of uh, Moses. I am the God of Peter. I am the God of Paul. And I am the God of you. No one was built up for the success of God's plan like this man. But still in his eyes, he go, brother, how could I do such a thing? And what does God say? What does God say? I will certainly be with you. I will certainly be with you. How do you see that today in your life? Look at verses 15 with me, please. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, God's given my man a script. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and this is my memorial for all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and a land flowing of honey. What a picture of life this is. 
You know, I was even thinking as a father, God, the father, Hunter, the father to my children. As I get older and we have somewhat of a large family, I have noticed that I can't really guarantee anything to my kids because my kids will remember and remind me that I failed them. And so my children will come to me and go, hey, can you throw ball with me? Can you play soccer with me? Can we go get a coffee? Can we go do this? All of these things. And I used to go, yeah, brother, that sounds good. We'll do that. But sometimes the day gets away, right? And sometimes you get pulled some other way. And my child will come to me because I'm a fallen individual that have a hard time keeping promises because I'm not perfect. And at 10 o'clock at night, London will go, technically, you said you'd kick soccer with me. I'm like, it's 10, 20 degrees and dark tomorrow. You said, though, right? You ever feel like that, parent? And so I've learned. I don't say I will anymore. I'll try. That's what I say. I'll try. And sometimes they'll try to get me to say I will. Well, Dad, what does that mean? Like, I'll try doesn't mean anything. And I was like, you're right, it doesn't. Like, tell me, please, tell me that you'll do it. And you know what I say? I can't. I don't want to let you down. What does God say? I will. This is not, hey, man, cross your fingers. I think if you and I put our heads together, I think we got a good shot at winning this. What does he say? He says, you know all the craziness that's happened in the last 400, 500 years in two chapters in a blink of an eye. I'm about to deliver what man did in hundreds of years. I'm going to deliver it on a thought. I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to save. I'm going to rescue. I'm going to deliver. And not only am I going to do all of that, you know where this game ends? This game ends in the land of milk and honey. You promise? I do. And I read this and I think to myself, we're on chapter three. He just gave away the ending. Like we got 11 more months. We got 37 chapters. What are we going to talk about? God goes, hey, listen, um, I know that there's a lot more to the movie, but this is how this ends, right? What are we supposed to do for a whole year? That's life the same reality that you and I live in. God gives promises for the people of 2022. We know how this ends, and that is faith. Philippians 4, and my God will supply. He will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ. He will. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's a promise. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of those sins and to cleanse us from all of unrighteousness. That is a promise. That is an I will. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The rest of Exodus, 11 years at this church and 37 more chapters, is God proving and living up to the greatness of the glory of his name and man's struggle living in the midst of promises and spoiled endings. Same applies today. 
David Evans lives and loves and serves the same God that Moses did. You and I today are living in the same dilemma of what does it look like to live faithfully towards an ending in which we have already seen and been told of in the midst of promises. Will he? Will David? Will Lindsay? Will Philip? Will London? Will Hunter? We have been told the ending. We have the promises of God. We know how the story ends. What are we going to do the next 37 chapters? How hard is it to live faithfully towards spoiled endings? That is the story of life for you and I, and that is the challenge that stands before Moses. As we start to come to an end, look at the rest of the verses with me. Then they will heed your voice, verse 18. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come. And the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with my wonders, which I will do in the midst. Take a second there. So Moses says, man, like, who am I? And even the Lord goes, hey, listen, on your own, this is not going to happen. It's not going to go well. I'm going to ensure that it does. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. 22, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. Last sentence, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Remember the, the scenario. Remember the scene. Like Moses, an 80-year-old shepherd from a burning bush, God goes, hey, listen, man, you're not going to win. You're going to win huge. Like, who am I? Who am I? God goes, you're the man who is with me. Nothing without me. Who are you? You are the man who is with me. Today, the slavery of God's people in Exodus is an image of the slavery of sin for you and I. And through Christ, not Moses, through Christ, we are promised what? Milk and honey. We are promised what? To gaze one day upon perfection. We won't hide our eyes. We're promised what? To enter heaven, to enter glory. We're promised what? That we are given the ending and the strength and faith to endure through it. The question as we close, for that man who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if that's not the God you know, if the Jesus that we talked about paving the way is not the Jesus you know, the question is, if you died today, would you gaze upon the Lord or would you hide your face? Died today, would you gaze upon the Lord knowing the price that your life cost or would you hide your face? And if you would hide your face, God save me 
I have seen you in Exodus 3. I put my trust that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins, that bled on a cross so that one day you will see him, not me, and rose on the third day. I put my belief, I put my trust, I am desperate for your grace. Is that you? Or if you are saved, if you are saved, and you are like Moses who has been spending years saying, like, who am I? Like, I can't go on a mission trip. You don't want me singing. You don't want me teaching. You don't want me helping. Like, I've tried marriage and it failed. Have you tried it with God? I've tried parenting and I was awful. You know what? You were. Have you tried it with God? God goes, yes, you have tried this without me and you failed. I am calling you to try it with me. I am not encouraging you. I am not motivating you. I am not propping you up. Your life does not depend on your awesomeness. It depends on the presence of God. And here's the good news. He is saying that he will walk with you. That is where success comes from. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I, I prayed this week. Um, I prayed this week for you to speak and for you to encourage me. I prayed for that this week. I needed this, and you delivered, and I thank you as the pastor. I thank you. Lord, for some of us in this room, we are in the wilderness. We are in the wilderness because you took us there. You are molding us. You are growing us for your purposes and your plans. You have stepped forward this morning. For some of us as lowly shepherds, you are wanting to work through us as kings. Lord, bring us back to the palace. Lord, I pray that if anybody does not know you, that they are saved today. Lord, I pray that there's not enough songs that this praise team can sing because this altar is full. Get these people up. Lord, I pray they run here. Stop speaking about thoughts and views and opinions. No, no, no. If someone does not know you, save their life. Get the water going. Someone is saved here. They are living in fear and lack of confidence. And they have been made so small. Praise Jesus. Because that is when we see how huge you are. Lord, I pray that they start saying yes to things that they should say yes to. No to things that they should say no to. Not because they're great, not because they're awesome, not because they're gifted, not because they are able, but because they know that you are with them, that you walk with them, that you pave a way. You give us a script. You've shown us the ending. Lord, praise God for spoiled endings. Save us, strengthen us. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his blood. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for glory. Thank you for milk and honey. Thank you for your people. But I pray and I give thanks lastly for conviction and salvation.
save the lost. In your precious name, the church says in harmony and loudly. Amen. Amen.